This morning, we're going to continue to worship as we journey through the book of Acts. We're, we're kind of closing out and nearing the end of Acts 16. And we're going to talk about a text today that has a lot to do with a supernatural event. Now, it's an earthquake, which we know is a natural phenomenon. But the way Luke writes this, it's clear that this earthquake has got some supernatural background. And I've heard this text taught many times. I've actually taught through the book of Acts before. But here's what's kind of funny. This text is not about the earthquake at all. This text is about a question that the jailer asked, and to get you thinking along the lines of the question the jailer asked and the answer Paul gives, I want you to, to think about one of my favorite Disney characters, Peter Pan. I, I grew up, I'm a Disney kid. Like my dad's generation, where there's old Peter right there. Uh, my, my dad's generation could remember not having TV in the home. My generation can't remember not having a TV in the home. We grew up with TV, and Disney was on Sunday night. And one of my favorite stories was that of Peter Pan. But, but, you know, I want you to think this morning about the fact that the adults in the Peter Pan show could not see Peter Pan. They couldn't see Hook. They couldn't see Tinkerbell, who was over there on the right. I'm not sure where she went, Tinkerbell. I'm telling you all, some weird stuff is happening. Tinkerbell was right there, and she's gone. It is like magic. It's the wonderful world of Disney all over again. So, so here's the deal. The reason that the adults couldn't see the characters was because they didn't believe. Yeah, somebody knows. Y'all remember the Disney story. They did not believe, and because they did not believe, these characters were not real to them. The ship and the Lost Boys and the island and the gold and all the stuff. Well, the reason I share this idea of belief being the foundation of actually being able to see or experience is because that's exactly what Paul teaches in Acts 16 today. Remember, supernatural earthquake, all kind of weird stuff happens. We're going to talk about that the actual foundations had a riot. No kidding, that's the wording used. There was a riot happening in the foundation of the building. Chains fall off, shackles come open, doors come off the hinges. We've got a jailer who's about to commit suicide, and Paul stops it because he senses a a spiritual battle taking place. And in the midst of all that, the jailer finally asks the question that mattered the most, how can I be saved? And in case you don't know, that's the most important question you should have asked in your journey as well. How is it I can be saved? Because there is something called hell we need to be saved from. And so he asked this question, and in the answer, Paul gives us this idea of the same reason adults couldn't see Peter Pan. It all had to do with belief. Now, we're going to talk about today the foundation of belief, but what belief then yields or leads to, and that is then salvation. But it must start with belief because that is the thing God gives to us according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He gives us this faith to believe, and so because we've been given this faith, I can now take action which then results and starts to show tangible evidence of the salvation I claim to have. So this morning, I want you to focus on this truth, this idea that the requirement, the basis for our salvation, there we go, is belief. And so belief is the foundational requirement, but it has to build upon top of that belief. There has to be a yieldedness. There has to be a giving in to the, the authority of Jesus, a submission to his character, but then there's got to be this conforming, but it must start with belief. And so, so there's a couple of crowds here today. I want, I want to address both of you. There's one crowd that would say, Justin, I've got this. I've had it for years. So have I. So you've got the belief, and there is that requirement that's the foundation for your salvation. Well, where I want you to focus today is what the text teaches us should come from that belief, because there's something that should follow. So if you've got the foundational belief, there is then a confirmation, a conforming that must define your life. So that's where I want you to be. 
But if you're in this room today, and honestly, this is just you answering this within yourself. If, if you were to ask yourself, am I really saved because I have this belief that I truly believe everything the Bible says about Jesus, I'm yielded to it, I'm submitted to it, I recognize his authority over my life, he is my priority. If you can't say that's you today, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen very carefully to how Paul explains how this salvation process takes place and how it happens. Because here's what I want you to understand. There is no chance you landed here coincidentally today. The Lord is orchestrating all things, and he had you land here today because he wanted you to hear this message. Not my message. He wanted you to hear this message, this invitation today about receiving belief and then exercising belief. So again, two very different crowds in here today. One that knows they've experienced this. Okay, so then here's what you listen for how you should conform because you have this. What should define you and you're conforming to Christ's likeness if you have this? Or the folks that may be here that are still kind of working through this. I don't know, Justin, for sure. I'm not opposed to Jesus. I'm not sure I really buy this whole Jesus story. I, I just don't know where I am in that journey. Okay, great, good. Journey with us because I believe there's going to be some answers for you today. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to work inside of our minds as we actually study his word. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege to offer to you worship already. And don't, please, in this moment, don't let us forget worship is yours. It's not ours. It is not what the songs meant to us. It's the songs as we sung them to you. It's what the songs of praise meant to you. Don't don't let us ever lose sight of that. That, Father, we are singing to you. We're going to see it right here in this text because I know this. There are some people in this room today They are in some difficult spots. And Father, there is a difficult setting in our text today. And yet, in the midst of that setting, here's what Paul and Silas did. They prayed just as we are praying, and they sung praises to you. Father, we want to give you our worship. But Father, the greatest form of worship we could offer you is our conforming to your character, our emulation of your behaviors, our following after you, not just walking behind, but doing as you did. And so that's why we study this. Because, Father, what we see in this text is the basis of that journey, the foundation of faith, but how that foundation of faith needs to lead to actions that result and prove to other people that I'm conforming in my character, I'm conforming in my nature, not to who I am, but to who you are. So give us wisdom not to miss that fact today, that there is a foundational basis, but that foundational basis is just the beginning of salvation. It is not the end all. It's the start of. So help us journey well today through this text. The only way we can is if you impart your wisdom to us. This is a text that is authored by a divine being, your Holy Spirit. And Father, his depth of wisdom and knowledge, I can never even grasp the tip of. So Father, give us wisdom today so we can understand. Give us deeper wisdom and greater wisdom then that we would apply what we learn from you today. Father, we praise you that you're going to teach us Your children are listening. Teach, Father, teach. And we will give you praise and honor in Christ's name. Amen. If you would study with me this morning, as I start reading there in verse 25 out of chapter 16. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, so you can tell this is not a story about your pastor. At 10 p.m., almost every night on the dot, I'm in the bed. And by 10.01, I'm asleep. That's just the way it works. So I'm not up at midnight. So you know this is not my story. This is about two guys that are really, really devoted. But if you'll remember their story, their, their devotion is being tested through the act of suffering. Remember, they've been beaten with rods, and I explained to you what those tools were, how the Jews and the Roman people designed those. They, they would take cane, what you and I would call like a cane fishing pole, 
and they would cut them down till about three feet in length, and they would take five or six of those, and they would bind them together with leather straps. They would like interweave leather all through those, and then they would just simply beat you on your bare back until they got tired of hitting you. There was no set number. It wasn't like, okay, we give you ten, we give you seven. No, no. They would just hit you till they got tired of hitting you. And you had to have the skin bared. And so these men have been beaten, I mean, beaten severely. In fact, the text said many. They received many lashes, many licks. And so now they're thrown into jail. And remember, this is not jail like today's jail. It's a tough enough place. Please hear me. The corrections world is very difficult, but yet it's fairly sanitary. It's fairly clean. There's beds. There's mattresses. Uh, They have people who clean in there. This is a place where the rats wouldn't even want to hang out. Like, like, this is the worst possible place they had, so that's where they were going to put them. So, so you've got your back that's exposed because it's bleeding and it's raw. They throw your clothes back up on top of those raw wounds, and then they stick you in this place, and they put you on the floor. You stick your feet straight out, and they lock your feet in stocks and put your hands in chains, and many times they chain their arms up. I don't know about you. If you just kind of sit through the service like this, there'll be very few of you who can hold your arms in this position the entire time I talk because I talk for a long time. And so, so you're going to get really tired. Now imagine having them chained in this position and your feet locked out and you're in a place where the rats are crawling on you and you're bleeding and you're hurting. And yet notice this, in the midst of their suffering, and here's our first teaching point, in the midst of their suffering, they didn't have a victim moment, they didn't have a woe is me, they didn't even have an anger moment. How did they respond to their suffering? They prayed. The last thing you need to do in your moment of suffering is stop talking to God. In your moment of difficulty, in your moment of stress, in your moment of suffering, the first conversation you need to have is not even with you. It needs to be with the Lord. And so, so prosecame is the word there for praying. Don't over-theologize this. It actually simply means to have dialogue with. It's just talking. Prayer, prayer is not necessarily a scripted thing. It doesn't have to be done the same way all the time. Prayer is a dialogue language with God. They're simply having dialogue with God. But notice, as they dialogue with God, notice what it resulted in. It resulted in their worship. And so, so here's that teaching point again, that in your time of suffering, if you're truly following after Jesus, if you're being conformed into his character, let me tell you what will define you in your moment of suffering. Worship will define you. Worship. But let let me ask you, let's be honest. When the times are the toughest, is that an easy time to worship? No. Y'all listen, when my dad died and I was going to preach his funeral, it was tough to worship. But I had to stand in front of people and lead a memorial service and a funeral, and and I wanted it to be worshipful, but it was hard to worship. When Caleb was diagnosed at four years old with leukemia, trust me, my first response wasn't worship. Now, the Lord led me to that and, and, and actually gave me the peace and the confidence to continue to pray and worship Him in that. But, but here's what I've learned over a long journey with the Lord. When I respond in my moment of difficulty with dialogue with Him, and I do my best to worship Him even though I don't feel it, because remember, it's not about what I feel, it's about what truth says. And truth says in their moment of discouragement, in their moment of suffering, they worshiped God. And guess what? He shows up in a really, really big way. Notice what happens. And again, Philippi, in case you don't know, is very prone to earthquakes. They sit on one of the plates that is constantly shifting. However, notice Luke, the doctor, who's very educated. I've shared this with you before. The most difficult and complex Greek in all the New Testament. So so he adds something here that lets lets us know this is not a normal earthquake. So listen to verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent, he, he adds a word, 
Uh, it's the word seismos, and here's what's kind of weird about that. Seismos is a word that, that not only is where we get seismic, but it doesn't only indicate an earthquake, it also implies like a threat. So this could be an effort from the enemy to do damage to God's apostles. He's got them there in the jail. I've had them beaten. Now they can't run. I've got them chained. If I had the building collapse on them, there goes old Paul and Silas, and they get out of my hair. And so that's kind of the wording that's used here for violent. It's the word seismos, which implies some evil there. So there's a spiritual journey or battle here that we, you and I don't see, but it's, it's there. The foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. Well, the, the word shaken, again, this is Luke verifying for us this wasn't normal. The word shaken is selevo in Greek, and selevo actually means to cause a riot. Now imagine the foundation where you're seated, legs locked, arms chained, back beaten, rats crawling, the foundation starts to have a riot. That's the word, the foundation started to have a riot. That's how severe this shaking, this earthquake is. Now, can you imagine for them what that must have been like? Man, they're praying, and they're praising the Lord, and they're giving praise, and all of a sudden, the very foundation they're seated upon starts to move in a way they've never felt before. And so you can only imagine there had to be some fear initially, because if you're sitting there thinking the walls are going to fall on top of you, and there's no place you can go, like you can't even cover. Your, your arms are up. They're chained up. Your feet are chained up. You can't run, can't move your arms, Except for once it starts to shake, what happens to them? Stocks come open, chains come off the wall, doors come open, and, and so what Satan may have meant for evil, just like David talked about in the Old Testament, obviously God is now using for good. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke up, now see, this is Justin. I must have been the jailer. I was dead asleep in all of it. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, let me, let me explain to you why he was going to do this before you jump to conclusions about his character. In the Roman, in the Roman centurion world, uh, you, you were given the assignment of prisoners, and it was to the death. Now, let me explain what that means. You were to defend them. So if somebody came to harm them, you would defend them. Even though they're prisoners, you would defend them to your own death because they're yours. At the same time, you would defend keeping them inside the prison to the death as well. Because if you lost them, the penalty was death. And it wasn't a quick death. They would torture you. They would literally, the executioner would torture you to death. Because it was to make, it was to make you the symbol to all the other people, all the other soldiers of what happens when you have a dereliction of duty. So if you lose them, that's the worst possible thing. It would be great if somebody tried to break them out and you died trying to keep them in. Or even if somebody tried to hurt them, you died trying to protect them, but you lose them, that's the worst possible thing. What, what, what does he think? Shaking, he's dead asleep, right in the ground. He wakes up, doors are off the hinges. He doesn't hear anything because I'm sure on the inside they're still shocked. They don't know what's going on either. He's thinking they're gone, so I'm not going to get tortured to death. I'm not waiting for any witnesses to see this. I'm going to end this on my own terms. And so he's about to commit suicide. But here's the deal. Remember I said there's a spiritual battle going on here? We, we see this in the words of Paul in verse 28. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. Okay, in English it says don't harm yourself, but in Greek that's not what it says. The word harm is kakos, K-A-K-O-S. Kakos is always translated as evil or incorrect, and it's incorrect in light of who God is. And so here's what I want you to understand. What he's about to do is part of spiritual warfare. 
what Satan wants is this man to harm himself. He wants this man to end his life. What God wants is to offer him salvation. See, the, the soldier doesn't know it's coming. Paul doesn't even know it's coming, but Paul, who is still inside, keep in mind, y'all, Paul's not standing outside. Paul is inside the prison. The jailer has not gone in yet. He's still outside the prison. Paul can't see this dude. Did y'all ever contemplate that? Paul can't see him, yet he sees him. Y'all, this is some spiritual stuff. Paul's not looking at this man. Paul's inside the jail. The jailer's outside the jail. Paul does not have vision like Superman. He can't see through the walls. And yet he knows this guy's about to harm himself. There's a spiritual battle taking place here that you and I can't see. Yet Paul is sensing, and he senses that the evil one is doing his work, and he senses that it's going to involve this jailer somehow. So Paul yells out. That's why it says in a loud voice. He senses the urgency, the crisis. He goes, hey, don't do that. Stop. And, and again, the word that he uses is kakos. Man, that is evil. He's not talking about suicide being evil. He's talking about the fact that the evil one is trying to cause this. And so a great spiritual war that is happening here. Notice what happens. Verse 29. The jailer called for light. So again, Paul can't see him. He can't see Paul. He rushed in. He's outside. Paul's inside. So again, they can't see each other. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And, and, and guys, hear me. Uh, I've heard commentators teach that they, he fell down as an act of worship. There's two reasons that's incorrect. There, there's two very clear reasons. First of all, there is a Greek word, proskuneo. So when somebody prostrates themselves down as an act of worship. Y'all remember in Lystra, you know, you got Paul and Barnabas, and they said, hey, dude, you're Zeus, and you must be Hermes. And they started to sacrifice a bull, and Paul and, Sil or Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 can't do this. We're only men. You can't worship us. Y'all remember the Roman centurion? He bowed down before Paul and was going to worship him. Paul said, no, get to your feet now. I'm only a man. The word used there was proskuneo. That's not this word. This word is prospito. And all prospito means is to fall down like you would in front of a king when you're going to ask for something because the word implies supplication. So, so let me make sure you get this clear in your head. When you pray to the Lord for yourself, that's intercession. I'm asking Jesus to intercede for me. So my intercessory prayers, I'm, I'm asking for the Lord to do something for me. I can also intercede for others. I can ask for the Lord to do something for others. A prayer of supplication is asking for something very specific, though. I, I, not just a general prayer. Like, I pray general prayers over my kids daily. You know, Lord, protect them. You know, I don't have to tell y'all flu and all that stuff's going around. You know, I, I pray literally every day, Lord, protect them while they're at school. Man, you know, Lord, give them some sense while they're there. Keep their hands away from their face. Use Germex. Don't be hugging and kissing. You know, just, you know, give them some sense while they're there. Protect their bodies from illness. That's a general prayer. It, it's, it's about certain things, but it's very general. It's not about, hey, Lord, I really pray that you will help them do this, something specific. What this means is, is he's not worshiping them. He's coming in to ask them for something. Secondly, here's why we know it's not worship, because Paul doesn't tell him to stop. If it had been worship, Paul would have said, hey, dude, get up off the ground. I am nothing but a man. Do not worship me. So this guy's not worshiping. This guy is asking. And notice what he is asking, and it is very, very specific. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be sozo? rescued, delivered, saved. It's our word that we would use for salvation in English. It means rescued. What must I do to be rescued? And you're like, no, wait a minute. How does he even know 
to ask to be saved? Well, because he's actually been hearing the gospel. Y'all heard, y'all heard, right? They were praying. They were dialoguing and talking to the Lord. Y'all listen, I, I heard gospel. I didn't know that's what I was hearing, but I heard gospel as a kid as I would walk by my mom's room and hear her praying in her room. She had this rocking chair, and she would always pray by this rocking chair, and she would pray for every one of her brothers by name to be saved and receive the Lord. She would pray for me and my sister by name to be saved and to receive the Lord, that the Lord would give us the gift of faith. I was hearing the gospel. I didn't know I was hearing the gospel, but I was hearing the gospel because of what my mom was praying. But notice what they were also doing. They were singing hymns. You know what that word means, right? That's a reference to the Psalms. You ever read the Psalms? The Psalms are very gospel-oriented. They're all about the Messiah. The Psalms are all about worshiping the Messiah. They may not name Jesus by name, but it calls him Messiah. And, and so they're singing Psalms, which is Scripture. They're praying. And, and so this guy is hearing it. So, so please hear me. Parents, you, you, you want your children to hear the gospel? Yes, you can tell them and read to them the gospel, but let them hear you pray. Let them hear you pray. Oh, but pastor, religion is such a private thing. I don't want your kids to privately end up in hell. I want them to publicly go to heaven. Lead them there. Lead them there. Through your prayers, through your worship, let them see your relationship with Jesus, not just have to guess about your relationship with Jesus. This man heard the gospel and he's in a prison. And there was no chaplain. He's just listening to the prayers and the singing of Paul and Silas. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, two things i got to clarify there. Believe is pistevo. Uh, remember, it's not a feeling word, it's a thinking word. It literally means think to be true. So here's what they tell him. What must I do to be saved? All right, you must think to be true, Jesus is real. Well, here's why they would say that. Because for somebody to be able to think to be true, Jesus is real. Ephesians 2 says, you must be given the gift of faith. So this is where Paul starts. I'm going to start with the foundation. Now, we're going to build on that foundation, and what we're going to build is conformity. So as I start on the foundation of belief, I'm going to conform to the very nature of Jesus in the end. That's what it means in Revelation where it says, when Jesus returns, I will see Jesus as he is because I am as he is. What that means is I will be fully conformed to Jesusness, and that's a pretty good place to be. That means I will no longer desire sin. I, I won't have any desire for sin. I will hate it. And so when Jesus comes back and he is done with my salvation process called sanctification, I will be fully conformed. But what gets me fully conformed is this foundation of faith. So Paul starts at the beginning. He says, you got to think to be true, Jesus is real. And he says, not only then will you be saved, but your household will. And you're like, well, wait a minute, that's a little confusing. And it should be. Because the way that reads in English, that sounds like as long as this guy believes, then everybody else in his household is going to believe. And church, I'm going to tell you, that's not actually accurate. That's not true. What is actually being stated here is what the culture would have been. Remember in the Greek and Hebrew culture, the dads, the men, they were the head of the households. And when they came home and they started voicing their belief patterns, guess what tended to happen in the household? People would start to follow that. People would also believe along those lines. And so here's what Paul is saying. Hey, man, listen, you believe on Christ Jesus. And if you believe on Christ Jesus, here's what's going to happen you're going to have your household start to follow you into that belief. Now, your belief won't necessarily get them there, but your belief will, by all means, have something to do with getting them there. And so, again, dads, let me tell you, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. You're concerned about the eternal destination of your children. Be concerned about your own first. 
Because if you get yours right, you've got a chance of them having theirs right. Don't, don't pray for your kids to go to heaven if you aren't concerned about your own eternal destination. Because here's what the text teaches us. If I am truly the spiritual leader of my home, everything then in my home will follow me. Make it worthy of their following. Make it worthy of their following. Lead them, dads, granddads. Lead them to heaven. That's exactly what he's telling them can take place. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord. Okay, so, all right, so believe. You've heard enough through our prayers. You've heard enough through our singing of the Psalms. But notice what it says. Then when they got a chance to get him one-on-one and with his family, they told him the story of Jesus. So, so the gospel is, it can be shared in very simplistic terms, but here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to clarify for him. I want you to really understand what that means. I don't want you to have some type of superficial relationship. I want you to truly understand what it means. And so again, he, he tells this man and his family the story of Jesus and him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all of his family were baptized. So remember, remember foundation is faith, belief. But, but don't stop there. Because James says even the demons believe and the demons aren't saved. They're not going to go to heaven. So belief is the foundation. But what that foundation does then, it leads to conformity. Conformity to the character of Jesus. Submission to the authority of Jesus. Seeking after the very nature and the attributes of Jesus in our behaviors. And so notice what happened. Immediately, as this faith starts to become real, he takes them out of the jail. You do know this would have cost him his life as well. Had he been caught, this would have been a death penalty. He takes them out of the jail to his home, and he washes their wounds. So at great cost to himself personally, what does he do? He actually serves. He starts to conform to the very character of Jesus, who, unconcerned for his own life, died in your place. Immediately, it says he was baptized. Please hear me. If your baptism didn't immediately follow your salvation, you're not in danger of losing your salvation but if you are saved and you have yet to be baptized, stop being disobedient. It says part of obedience and conforming to character is following through a believer's baptism. So, so maybe even today at the end of this service, you, you need to make up your mind, I'm going to follow through a believer's baptism because I've never done it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And then notice how the text closes out. He brought them into his house set a meal before them because they were Baptists. No, just kidding. That's a joke. I added that. He set a meal before them, and he rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. The foundation of this newfound rejoicement, the foundation of his sharing and conforming in character was this idea of belief. But, but here's the deal. To help him conform, we're going to talk about the fact that God helped him. God gave him something in addition to faith, which is the foundation of belief. God then gave him something to help him in his conforming process. So, so let, me, let, me, let me share this with you. Go back to Peter Pan again. You remember the kids believed, and that's why they could see Peter? And Peter said, okay, then let's go. Peter flies out the door, and the three kids are still standing in the room. Peter flies back in. He said, hey, I said, let's go. What are you doing? Dude, we can't fly. Oh, you believe, yet you still have not conformed. Y'all remember what he did? Tinkerbell had got pushed inside of a drawer. He gets Tinkerbell out of the drawer, and he uses her like a salt shaker. 
sprinkles pixie dust all over them. And what happens once the pixie dust starts getting on them? They start to levitate. Some of them upside down. See, they, they didn't work it out initially. You know, it's kind of like our spiritual journey. Some of us start, and we've kind of got this spiritual maturity thing down. Some of us have to work into it. Y- y'all see the parallel, right? Belief is the foundation so I can experience God. But to help me to conform to who he is. You do understand that is the goal of salvation. Y'all, please hear me. Make sure you've got this. The goal of salvation is not that you miss hell. That is not the goal of salvation. I'm, I'm glad I'm going to miss hell. Please hear me. And I'm really excited that I get heaven. That's a real plus for me. You do understand that's not why God saved me. All the way back in Genesis, we were given the very image of God. And because of our sinful choices, that image is blurred. That image is marred. People don't see God clearly through us anymore because we don't live like God does. And so my salvation is so I can be conformed back fully into that image. So if anybody were to encounter me, so if you run into me in heaven, it's going to be confusing to you because we're all going to act like Jesus. I may not look like him, and trust me, you will still know the difference because he'll be God and I will not be. But I'll be the one who acts a whole lot like him, as will you. Because in case you don't know, the purpose of your salvation is to get your conformity back where it's supposed to be. You're going to conform back fully into that image. So God helps us. But here's the deal. He doesn't take pixie dust, which is not real. He takes his Holy Spirit, and he doesn't sprinkle or pour us. Not that I'm being critical of sprinkling or pouring. Please hear me. But he doesn't sprinkle or pour me with the Holy Spirit. What does he do? The Bible says he fills me. You know what that word in Greek is? It's pimplomy. You know what pimplomy means? It means to be to the rim. It cannot hold anymore. At the point of my salvation, I am full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that Holy Spirit helps me in my conforming process into the very nature and character of Jesus. You should be thankful this morning. And in fact, before we leave here today, you thank God that He filled you with His Spirit. Because you have been filled, you've got a chance now to fully conform if you will continue daily, as 1 John tells us, to submit. And so this is what Paul was trying to tell the jailer. Hey, man, listen, conformity is the goal. This is where you want to land. That's why they tell the story of Jesus, because we want to know what the target is. The target is Jesus. What you're trying to hit is Jesusness. You're trying to hit Christ-likeness. That's the bullseye. So you can do that, but to land there, you've got to make sure you take care of the first part. And the first part is you've got to make sure that you've got the requirement of faith. That, that's That's the challenge today. All right, again, I've got two groups here. Some of you may go, but this is the thing I'm not sure about. I'm like, okay, I I get it. I wasn't either. At one point, I wasn't either in my journey. I believe Jesus was real, but my life being submitted to him, me wanting to conform into his image, I didn't understand any of that or even know to understand it, but all of a sudden I did. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Justin, here's the deal. I'm not opposed to Jesus. I'm at church, dude. I'm not opposed to Jesus, but a life of salvation and conforming to his image, man, I'm not sure I understand all that. Okay, so if that is you this morning, please hear me. Don't check out yet, but hang on. I'm going to come back to you. Just hang on. I'm going to come back to you. First, I want to talk to the other group because there is a group that would say, got it. Check it off the box, baby. Minimums are done. I love minimums. Got it. Foundation, faith, saved, got that. Okay, if that is you then, then here's where I'm going to challenge you, and it's with these four things. 
I want you to evaluate your last week because if you're truly conforming into Jesusness, if you're trying to hit the bullseye of Christ's likeness and that is the goal of your salvation, there are some things that I will be able to see. More importantly, you will be able to see in your own journey. Number one, you will still give praise in times of difficulty. Here's what I want you to work toward. I want you to think about your last seven days. Every time you had stress, the last seven days was your first response praise. If your answer is no, we're not there yet. That's okay, because none of us are. I did 50-50 maybe. I had a couple stressful moments, and I responded with praise. had a couple stressful moments, and I responded with, I'm mad. You know, me and my buddy Sam, we, we kind of respond alike, you know, stress, mad. Because anger will fix everything, right? Nah, just makes it worse. I'm not a pity party kind of guy. I'm just a get mad kind of guy. That's not this. Conformity, conformity is just that. It's conforming to something other than me. And so if I'm truly chasing after Christ-likeness, Jesus-ness, what I want to become better at is in every moment of stress, every moment of difficulty, everything that I have to do that I don't like doing, and believe it or not, that happens in my world, I still want to learn to respond with praise. Y'all, I, I don't think sometimes we get, man, this is not just a Bible story. These were two real guys. These were real men beaten to a pulp strapped on the floor. And they're not questioning whether they've made the right choices. They're not doubting their fate. They're giving praise to God. That should be our target. That should be our target. So going into your next seven days, starting the moment you walk out of this building, I want you to come back to this all week long. Because trust me, if you think stress is going to dodge you this week, you're living in a fairyland. You might as well be a part of Disney because stress is coming and difficulty's coming and suffering's coming and hardship's coming and it's going to come this week. Trust me, it, it just will. And it's always in a way that I don't really expect. But I want my response to be the same. Praise. Number two, make sure that the route that we're choosing or that we're taking is the Lord's, not ours. Notice, notice, and again, I know suicide is an extreme example. Please hear me not in any way would ever glorify this. But what the soldier was choosing was what was easiest for him. What the soldier was choosing was what was easiest for him. He never once thought about his family. Now, he did once salvation came. He took them home. Dude, I want you to meet my family. But in that one moment when he was looking for the easy way out, he didn't think about anybody else but himself. Please hear me. If in every decision you make, it is always for your own benefit, you are not conforming to the nature of Jesus Christ. Because it is rare we saw him make a decision that was for his benefit at all. So make sure in your decision making this week, and let that start the minute you leave this building, if you come to that decision point this week concerning anything, do I buy this, not buy this? Do I view this, not view this? Do I say this, not say this? Do I date this person, not date this person? Do I take this job, not take that job? Do I even pursue this job? Whatever that may be for you this week, I want you to come back to number two. So if you need to take a picture of it, whatever you need to do to remember it, come back to number two. Number three, 
Look for ways to guide others into the light. Remember this. If you truly believe in your heart a relationship with Jesus, which includes heaven and conforming into the perfect nature of God, if you think that's the greatest thing anybody could experience, then how could we go a whole lifetime and never tell anybody about it? I mean, we'll call people up, man, when we find a bargain at Walmart. We'll call people up. Dude, I got six of those for two bucks. And I did pick up, and I didn't have to go inside. Girl, you need to go down to Target. Oh, bath and body, girl. Five for 20. Dude, we'll go on social media and post that stuff. But when's the last time a relationship with Jesus was so awesome to you that you just couldn't wait. Girl, have you talked to Jesus today? You can't believe what he's got to say. Instead, we're referring people to Oprah and Phil. Really? Really? If he's that important, look for ways. And if you're not seeing them, start asking. God, show me ways. Give me opportunities. You know what he'll do? He'll answer you because he wants you to do this. Number four, and this is where we close, serve others, Galatians 6.10, especially those in the family of faith. Uh, notice once this guy was saved, what was the first thing he did? Served others. Before he was even baptized, first thing he did, wash their wounds, serve others. Serve others. If you look back over your last seven days, please hear me. I want you to pay attention. If you look back over your last seven days and you cannot see a defined moment of you serving somebody else with you standing to gain no benefit at all, you're not conforming. If you can reflect back over a full week and you don't see a single moment where you serve somebody else standing nothing to gain in return, then you're not conforming. We're not conforming. All right, so for that group, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to have you stand in just a minute, and I want you to process this. And it may be a process of, I'm going to thank the Lord. Remember, he said he rejoiced in his salvation. It may be you just rejoicing in your salvation. It may be you coming to the altar and confessing where you have not done these things and maybe have failed in this. Maybe it's a renewed commitment that you come with before the Lord. I'm going to this week, I'm going to fulfill these things. My second group, please hear me. I haven't forgot you. I'm coming back to you. However, if you're sitting here this morning and you do not have nailed down for sure, you are not certain about this idea of faith. You're not certain about this idea of commitment and submission and conforming to Jesus. Yet, for some reason, unlike before, when you've sat in this room, if you ever sat in here before, for some reason you've got curiosity today. And for some reason you're like, yeah, but I, I would be open to somebody telling me more. Okay, here's what I have for you. We're going to stand up. And people are going to bow their heads, and they're going to pray. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, come down front, draw any attention to yourself. But when everybody's standing, here's what I want you to do. Very quietly, I want you to move right over here to these doors. Not because I want you to leave, but because I want you to stay. You see, here's what we do at the end of every one of our services. we got a group of people that Pastor Jeff has really invested in, and, and, and they have studied, and they've trained and what they want to do is if you've got questions about becoming a Christ follower, you've got questions about expressing faith, you, you just want somebody to pray with you about you feeling distant from the Lord, 
if you'll walk right over here, part of that prayer response team will be there to meet with you. And they'll take you to a place more private. So, so without distraction, they can sit down with you, and they're just going to kind of walk you through some biblical principles about becoming a follower of Jesus, about what it looks like to submit to his authority, to agree with God that he's actually your priority, the Lord over your life. If that is you, again, don't waste any time. As soon as we stand up and start to pray, you just move right over here. They'll be watching. Trust me. You won't have to look for them. They will find you. They'll be looking for you. However, for those of you, you've already taken care of that. I want you to process this and let the Lord dialogue with you just as Paul and Silas were having dialogue with the Lord. Stand with me.